Welcome to Tanakh Daily, a Congregation Ahavas Torah initiative. Today, we are up to the 21st parak of Shmuel Bet. And we've really entered a new phase of the Sefer, which is going to take us all the way to the end. In a certain respect, this is almost like Shmuel Gimel. Maybe you would say it's or probably more correctly an appendix to the previous 20 prakim. We have four prakim now, four chapters, that have an internal structure and a coherence, but that tells a series of seemingly unrelated stories. It's not even clear at what point during David's reign they occur. The first story that is told is a, a troubling one. There is a famine in the land of Eretz Yisrael, and, uh, and it lasts for three years, which prompts David to call out to Hashem, likely through the Urim Vitumim, to try to identify the cause of this punishment. David learns that it is the result of a sin perpetrated by Shaul against the Givonim. You will recall that in Sefer Yehoshua, the Givonim lived in the land of Canaan. They saw the approaching uh, B'nai Israel. They were terribly afraid of what was going to happen to them. And so they hatched a scheme. They put on clothing that looked like it was worn and torn out. And they had bread that looked like it was moldy and old and crumbled. And they made it seem essentially like they were coming from a very, very far distance. They approached B'nai Israel and they, they asked to establish a, a peace treaty, a covenant, a vow that there, there would not be any aggression between the two people. B'nai Israel were willing to do so, again, thinking that these were not people that fell into the, uh, the land of Canaan, into the mandate of conquering the land of Canaan. B'nai Israel were tricked. They established this treaty. And ultimately, even though Shaul, uh, Yehoshua comes to realize that this, was, this vow was made under false pretenses, nonetheless, he decides to honor this vow. Comes Shaul some years later, and we learn uh, Shaul does not honor the vow, and Shaul attacks the Givonim, and he kills a number of them, perhaps very many of them. That, uh, that's also not clear. It's discussed in Chazal exactly what Shaul did, um, but we'll just we'll leave it at, at this surface level. He killed some of the people of Givon. And that's why Hashem has brought this famine, because Shaul broke this, this vow made by and in the time of Yehoshua. Learning this, David approaches the Givonim. I mean, what's, what is David supposed to do? He, he's learned this bit of information. How can, he, how can he make this right? So he approaches the Givonim and he wants to appease them. They refuse monetary payment and they initially seem to refuse putting anyone to death for Shaul's wrongdoing. Shaul, after all, himself is already dead. But David pushes them and they, perhaps you'll say, summon the courage uh, to make their real request. And that is that seven of David's, excuse me, seven of Shaul's descendants should be killed. They should be hanged. And David agrees. David, however, honors his vow to Yonatan uh, and has mercy on Mephibosheth, who, you know, once we hear that David agrees to kill Shaul's descendants immediately where our heart sinks because we already, I think, as the readers of, of, of Shmuel Bet, have Rachmanus on, on Mephibosheth, who we feel has been mistreated. And we're afraid, oh, oh yeah, this is really going to be the ultimate injustice to kill this poor Mephibosheth now. And so Baruch Hashem, we're told, no, David's going to honor his vow to Yonatan, uh, uh, the, 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 the peace treaty he made with Yonatan, and he's not going to touch Mephibosheth. Instead, David takes other descendants from Shaul, which include two children from Ritzbah, who is one of Shaul's concubines, and he hangs them on a mountaintop. And that seems to be uh, to, to put an end to the issue. 
So let's just pause here to note a few things. Firstly, this is all very troubling. Did David do the right thing here? It seems that the answer given to us by the text is yes. He needed to appease the givonim. Uh, he needed to avenge them in, so, in some way, and this is what that looks like. The Torah seems, even though the Torah seems to say that children should not be punished for the sins of their fathers, for the sins of their parents, certainly not in the human court, nonetheless, it seems that the text is telling us that David is, has done something good. Additionally, the text is, I think, very deliberately setting up uh, a, a, a contrast between Shaul and David. They're, uh, once again, a kind of foil to one another. And, and that is that Shaul is the one who does not honor vows, i.e. the vow made by Yehoshua to the Givonim, while David is the one who does honor vows, i.e. protecting Mephibosheth uh, in this situation out of uh, deference to the vow made to Yonatan. And so by drawing that very explicit connection uh, and, and foil, I'll say, between Shaul and David, it seems to be holding up David as having acted in the appropriate way. To complicate that a little bit, I'd, I'd also just note that David did make a vow to Shaul that he was not going to kill off his descendants. Of course, that vow was made in a particular context. Shaul was asking David not to kill off his family simply because David was taking over the power, taking over the kingship. And in the ancient world, it was common practice that a new king uh, who was taking over for a deposed king would kill off, would clean house, right? Would kill, kill off all of that king's family. So that was Shaul's request. He wasn't asking for a kind of carte blanche, don't ever kill any of my family, li all may ad, right? He wasn't saying that my family should be untouchable if they do something, uh, if they sin or whatever the case may be. Um, but in any event, the, the point is that it, it's just, it's a, it's a, it, the parak is difficult. It's it's hard to understand, but it seems like David is doing is pursuing the correct course of action here, and uh, that that motif of promises promises kept and broken uh, seems to be really central in this narrative, and again seems to suggest that David is behaving in a way that is superior superior to Shaul. Fine. We then learn that Ritzba, whose two sons I know I noted uh, were were killed in uh, in this narrative. She plants herself in a kind of makeshift tent on the mountaintop near the, the bodies of her children and uh, extended family that were killed. And she stays there for months uh, until the rainy season, not burying her dead and not allowing the bodies to be degraded by animals or the like. And this is seen as a great act of chesed to the deceased, a great act of loyalty and commitment, of course, of mourning. And it may also be a great act of protest. It does get the attention of David, who responds by doing something very significant. He disinters the bones of Shaul and Yonatan that were buried in the Transjordan, buried by the people of Yavesh Gilad. And together with the, with the bodies of these seven individuals who were hung, he buries them all in the uh, ancestral plot of, of Shaul's family in Selah in the tribe of Binyamin. You could say David did this in response to Ritzba's protest, that somehow she was protesting some kind of wrongdoing that, that extended beyond these seven individuals, but extended to Shaul and to Yonatan as well. Or you could say that David did this because he was inspired by Ritzba's exemplary care for the dead and the way she showed honor 
to the dead, and David wanted to follow suit, and so he did this by showing uh, this kind of deference to Shaul and to Yonatan and to all of those who died um, in, the, in, the, in this episode. There's a lot to think about here. Uh, much more work to be done and carefully unpacked. It's hard to, to as I said, really hard to assess David's behavior. But for now, we're going to just leave the narrative at that, and I'll, I'll leave it for you to continue uh, thinking about. The final psukim of this parak describe a series of battles with the plishtim, each with uh, an encounter that is quite parallel to David's encounter with Goliath, uh, which we uh, read many prakim ago. So we have a series of giants that are fought by individuals uh, in Bnei Israel. From, these are plishti giants. In fact, one of these stories is of Goliath. And uh, it it seems to be the exact same story, except for the fact that instead of David killing Goliath, it's this person named Elchanan. So either we need to say that Elchanan is another name for David, and this is gesturing back all the way, right? I told you, chronology is hard here. Maybe this is a story that goes all the way back to the, the beginning of, of David's career. Alternatively, you could just say that there was another another giant named Goliath uh, who fought on behalf of the Plishtim and did some of the things that Goliath did as well. Um, my vote is for the latter. Uh, importantly, in this series of kind of mini-narratives, mini-stories of uh, fight, fights against uh, these giants, we have this individual named, a giant named Ishbi Benov, who, uh, uh, in the context of that fight, David falls faint, and he needs to be saved by Avishai. Uh, so I guess, for me, that's a really critical piece in, t- in terms of how we understand this this little series of narratives. I, I, I see it as... Um, kind of a bookend. David rises to power through his heroics against Goliath. That's his kind of major moment in which he emerges as this great leader in Israel. And now we're seeing the other bookend. We're seeing the end of the story when his strength is waning. And now he is overseeing the continuation of that same fight. But in the final chapters of his life, he can't be doing the fighting himself. Now it is others who must save David in the way that, in a certain respect, David saved Shaul, uh, in that initial fight uh, against Goliath, in, which in my telling was many moons ago. Maybe. I'm not sure. I'll leave it for you to consider. A lot more uh, to work on here, a lot more to, uh, to unpack in, in this, in this parak. Again, we've, uh, we've at least scratched the surface. I hope I've given you what to think about. Please feel free to reach out to me if you have uh, any particular insights. I'm, I'm open, to, uh, open to hearing. Please, uh, please shoot me an email. That's it for today. Chazak, fe'amatz, and happy learning.